Today's reading is from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. This can be found on page 1132 in the Church Bibles. Death through Adam, life through Christ. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that, just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thanks very, very much. I'm I'm always slightly embarrassed as a vicar when I'm walking around with a new Bible. Uh, The reason I'm doing that is I gave my old one to a young lad in Brazil and uh, thought he needed it. And... uh, uh, so it's good. I was in Brazil on, uh, got back on Tuesday. Anna and I went together. And, uh, there we are in, well, that's, uh, Nelson and Marcia and Camilla and her husband, uh, Myron. And, uh, in the rain. So a few little quick pics just to tell you a little bit of what we did. And, uh, that's a nice picture, isn't it? Like that one. And, uh, they, um, they got married, uh, in July. And we saw three and a half thousand wedding pictures. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say the best wedding pictures I've ever seen. So uh, that was great. And uh, as a lot of eating happens in Brazil, and especially if you're a pastor, and uh, so we're having a meal with them there. And uh, uh, and then if you go down to Casa Brazil, down the marina, it's a cherascaria thing where they bring meat to the table. Uh, that's a proper one in Brazil, and that's me getting fat uh, with uh, Nelson on the left and a couple of other pastors, Danielson on the left there, and uh, a guy called Joaquim, who is the guy who organized things. So do pray for those two guys. 
uh, Danielson and Joachim, their pastors in the church in Sorocaba, where uh, I was doing a lot of uh, speaking and stuff. Um, uh, we'd spend a bit of time doing other things, like popping around to local places. So there's, uh, there's a place called Itu, which is just north of Sorocaba, where everything's large, like telephones and shoes and exciting things like that. Anyway, um, uh, I tended to preach in the evening in, in Presbyterian churches, so uh, there's one of them after an absolute torrential downpour, and there's one you can see a little bit better. And, uh, uh, and they also, there's a Christian family run the ice cream shop next door, so that's handy, lots more food. And um, uh, so we had a good time, uh, just to prove we did some preaching. Um, I, I think Nelson has now translated for me about 70 times, uh, over 70 times now. And uh, uh, I must say, I'm looking forward this morning to being able to preach without having to pause every 10 words or so for Nelson to translate. So uh, thank you for praying. Uh, there are some uh, uh, folks of one particular church. Normally you, you preach and then you have an evening meal. So uh, it means a late night kind of thing. That was just before dinner. That was one place. Uh, I did a couple of evenings with uh, leaders in one particular church. Uh, you can see me and Nelson there, and uh, and the guy in the red shirt next door to Nelson is the uh, the kind of local area Presbyterian guy, covering an area the size of England, which is quite impressive, isn't it? And uh, uh, and uh, that's on last Sunday lunchtime, um, and the guys behind are people who've just done a theology course for two years, and uh, they uh, that it's their graduation, and they asked me to speak at that last Sunday lunchtime. And that's Danielson in the middle, Davielson. Uh, their pastor who taught much of the course. So, uh, good time. Thank you for praying. Glad to be back and uh, glad to be back safely. So, uh, do turn to Romans chapter 5 and verses 12 to 21. And, uh, um, and while we swap over the PowerPoint, first of all, you know who that is? Yeah, Neville Chamberlain. And uh, that is Neville Chamberlain at 11.15 a.m. on the 3rd of September 1939. And as British Prime Minister, he's broadcasting to the nation. And at the beginning of his broadcast, this is what he said. This morning, the British ambassador in Berlin handed the German government a final note stating that unless we heard from them by 11 o'clock, that they were prepared uh, at once to withdraw their troops from Poland a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you now that no such undertaking has been received and that consequently this country is at war with Germany. Now that uh, is an example of representative action. Other people call it uh, federal headship or covenant headship. I'm going to call it representative action or representative headship. What I mean is one person speaking for, standing for, and making decisions for others. So that whatever they achieve or do or choose or fail to do, achieve or choose, uh, then it goes with the people who they are representing. So Neville Chamberlain and his government declared war on Germany. It meant our whole country were at war with Germany. Or to take a slightly more trivial example, here's Alistair Cook and Ricky Ponding at the Toss uh, a few years back in an Ashes Test match. And uh, that's a representative action as well, or representative headship. Uh, they're calling heads or tails, and then uh, that is how it goes for the rest of the team. The team won the toss or lost the toss and then chose to bat or field or whatever it would be. So it's the same idea. Now here, this is the fundamental idea that we need to understand if we're going to understand 
uh, Romans chapter 5 and 12 to 21 that Hillary has just read for us. And the two representative heads here. On the one hand, there's Adam, and on the other hand, there is Christ. And we're going to see on the one hand that we're seeing with Adam representing extreme sin, and then on the other hand, Christ representing and being extreme grace. Now, we need to spend, I think, a little bit of time understanding this idea of representative action because our society is very individualistic and uh, we don't tend to get this very easily. Now, there are other countries in the world and the Bible, uh, for instance, where this is something which is perfectly normal. Uh, it's a nat- natural and normal experience and so on. But in many other places, we just, I mean, we just, they get it, but we don't get it so easily. This idea that a relationship with someone else can be so strong and so vivid and so real so that whatever they do or achieve, you do or achieve. Um, And whatever they decide or they lose or whatever, it's the same. It represents and it's the same for you. So we need to keep this in mind as we go through uh, here in Romans 5, 12 to 21. Martin Lloyd-Jones, great preacher, and he said this once. God has always dealt with mankind through a head and representative. Always. The whole story of the human race can be summed up in terms of what has happened because of Adam and what has happened and will yet happen because of Christ. Everything can be summed up either through Adam or through Christ. Okay, so it's it's a really big thing. It's really important for us to understand. Now, I reckon this passage here is a bit like a can of condensed milk. Because it's really condensed. It's really kind of, you know, there's an awful lot of stuff here. And in the 25 minutes or so we've got, uh, we're we're not going to plumb the depths of this. Um, But we need to understand that it starts with the word therefore. So we've got to go back a little bit to the first 11 verses of Romans chapter 5 and uh, and see the consequences there of being justified by faith. In fact, he says in those 11 verses, we have been legally declared innocent in front of our great and holy God. It's a justification is a legal term, like in a law court there. And, uh, uh, and when you put your faith in the dying Lord Jesus Christ, he says here, you're justified by faith. And that has huge consequences. So, for instance, you have verse 1 of chapter 5, you have peace with God. Look at that, brilliant. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have hope. Look at verses um, 2. Uh, yeah, yeah, getting into verse 2. And we burst in the hope of the glory of God. And verses 4 and 5. Uh, it means we're saved, verse 9, from God's wrath. It means we're reconciled with God, verses 9 and 10 here. And so as he goes on from that, he says, look, that is the consequences of our justification. That is just amazing. Therefore... Therefore, you need to remember that there are these two representative heads in the human life. And you are, you are either still under Adam as you were born, or you're living a new life with Christ as your representative head. It's either one or the other. And in this passage, he contrasts them. He compares them. He looks at one, he looks at the other. He says, this is what this one's like, this is what that one's like. And he's saying, you don't want to be under Adam, and if you're still under Adam, if he is your representative, head you need to move 
You've got to get from out of that place into this place here where you're under Christ, with Christ as your representative head. So he's looking here at two world orders, or uh, if you like, two eons or two realms. Adam, the world order, the realm of extreme sin. Or Christ, the world order, the realm of extreme grace. Adam, standing for extreme sin, and humanity's just uh, condemnation. Christ, standing for extreme grace, and humanity's uh, justification. And we all live one side or the other. There is no third world order. You are one side or the other. So let's have a look at them now. So first of all, the first world order, uh, we've seen extreme sin and grace, the first world order. Uh, and we see here, first of all, this is Adam, a world order of sin and death and judgment. Uh, so you look at verse 12, just as sin entered the world through one man, you can see a chain reaction, sin and then death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sins. So he's saying here, With Adam, and in Adam's world order, sin entered the world through Adam. Death came because of sin. And actually, in the end, all die because of this sin that came into the world through Adam. And what he did, because we're in Adam, we've done. So it says in verse 12, uh, through enter in this um, and he says here just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin and in this way sin came to all people because all sinned all sinned now that little phrase all sinned um, is an aorist it, it, sorry that's technical what it means is it's a one time thing in the past it means you did it means that's where you are. So in other words, when Adam fell, you fell. That's what he's saying. Because Adam sinned, you have sinned. Because he is your representative head. He sinned, you've sinned too. I've sinned too. That's what, that's the situation we're in, okay? And because we sinned in Adam, we die. So do you see the second thing here, the old world order, a chain reaction, one leading to the other, in Adam, sin, because he sinned, we sin, result, death. He died, we will die. Death is in the world because of this. The judgment of God on sin is death. It's a death penalty. Now we sit in physical death. We sit in in, uh, uh, eternal death when a non-Christian person is separated from God for all eternity. Hell. And, uh, and so the old uh, world, world order, the head is Adam, it's characterized by sin, he did, so do we. It's characterized by death, he died, so will we. But more than that, it's characterized by death to all. Everyone sins, everyone dies. Martin Lloyd-Jones again said the world is full of cemeteries. That's Hove Cemetery. And when you go down the road here and turn right and you're heading towards Sainsbury's and you drive through the middle of Hove Cemetery, you've got graves on the left, you've got graves on the right. 
And every time you drive down there, it ought to be a reminder of the old world order, that as in Adam, all die. And we'll continue to die until Jesus returns. We share in Adam's sin. We were there. And we don't just imitate Adam. It's worse than that. We participate in Adam's sin. That's the old world order. That's uh, Adam as its representative head. It's a captain, if you like, uh, of this old world order of sin and death and death to all. And you see, this is where we were before we became Christians. This is where you are if you're not a Christian now. But there is another world order, which is hugely fantastically and wonderfully better to live with Christ as our representative head, to live with Christ as our king, our lord, our captain. And it is uh, the new world order. Now, this is the one that if you're a Christian, we're living under now. And it makes all this difference. It makes an extraordinary difference. It's a cosmic change. It's a massive change. It's a change bigger than you would ever imagine. It is simply the biggest thing that has ever happened, ever. Now, some people seem to think that when Brighton got promotion, that was the biggest thing ever. Okay? It wasn't. All right? There are more important things than getting to the premiership. But actually, you know... The fact that they got from the championship to the premiership, and they won yesterday, but I'm sorry if you were waiting to see the highlights later on today, but they won, I've told you now, they won yesterday up in Newcastle, which is great. And uh, um, now, the thing is, you see, when they got promoted, the new order, if you like, the premiership, is quite similar to the old one. They still play football. They're still at the Amex. They've still got most of the same team. They've still got Chris Hooten as the manager, okay? Still got the same fans, and a few new ones, I would hope, and so on. So there are similarities between the two. And we can see, this is the first thing here, that with this uh, um, new world order, there are similarities between the old and the new, just in the same way there are similar, well, not exactly in the same way, as the similarities between playing Brighton in the championship and in the premiership. But there's a similar pattern here, you see. So in Adam... By his sin, he brought universal ruin to the human race. Christ, by his one act of righteousness and self-sacrifice, he brought universal life to the human race for all who will put their trust in him. On the cross at Calvary, Jesus brought that possibility of universal blessing for anyone who put their trust in him. You see the similarities. But in verse 18, just in case you think, well, this is universalism, you know, everyone's going to be saved. We must be clear that would, that would contradict the rest of Romans, which says very, very clearly, we're justified by faith in Jesus, putting our trust in Jesus. So when he says all people in verse 18, or the many, as he says there in verse 19, and at the end of verse 18, he can't mean all humanity. But he's talking about the humanity who put their trust in Jesus. But you see, the pattern is similar, isn't it? You've got one man's action affects everyone. So you look at yourself in Adam on this side here, and though you've done nothing wrong, you're declared a sinner. You you, uh, uh, 
and you, you've done nothing wrong, but your state is that you are wrong. But over here, in you see yourself in Christ, and although all you've done is put your faith in him, and now you're declared righteous, you're declared uh, justified. So similar principles running through the old and the new world orders. Similar, this new one, but better. Which is probably the greatest understatement of all time. You can't just say, yeah, it is better. I mean, look at verses 15 and 17. That's better, isn't it? And look at verses uh, 20 to 21. Yeah, that's better as well. Yeah. I mean, that is a huge understatement. Adam and Christ stand here in this passage as heads of these two eons, these two ages, two world orders. They're two captains. Adam, the head of the old world order and death. And Christ, the head of the new world order and life. Life which begins now. Life which transcends death for all eternity. And which we glory in and which we rejoice in and which gives us huge comfort for those who have gone before us. But there's a startling difference. There's much more. So the old order, the consequences were death and condemnation. You see that in verses 15 and 16 here. A new world order, consequences, justification, and life, and a new life. Uh, there's a difference in terms of the character and the direction. So the old order took away life and brought death, whereas the new order takes away death and brings life. So they're kind of polar opposites in some ways, aren't they? And uh, um, and there's a contrast, too, in terms of the better nature of the new world order. Because this is a new world order of grace and justification and life summed up in those two little phrases, the end of verse 15 and in verse 17, where it says, how much more? If that was like that, and they're similar in some ways, how much more is this going to be better in this new world order that we have uh, together now? And it's like comparing the old and the new, comparing one thing and another. There's Buckingham Palace. It's nice, isn't it? Very nice. There's my shed. That's nice. Very nice. And what we're saying here is, you know, they're quite similar in some ways. My shed and Buckingham Palace. They've got walls. They've got a roof. My shed's got two windows. Buckingham Palace, several thousand windows. Know that? Um, my shed's got a door, Buckingham Palace, a few doors. And, uh, uh, and what he's saying here is, look, you know, where would you rather live? My shed or Buckingham Palace? You see, it's so much better. This new world order is so much better. God's grace is infinitely greater for good than is Adam's sin for evil. The new world order is just simply Better, hugely better, wonderfully better. Death reigned through Adam. But if we receive God's abundant provision of grace, his offer of justification and life and righteousness, then you will reign in and through and with this one man, Jesus Christ. It's being made righteous is a status before God. So one man sinned. Adam, 
And we all therefore sinned. Look at verse 19, the beginning of it. Just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, Jesus being obedient to his father as he died for us, the many will be made righteous. So much better. Many who receive justification through faith will receive a new status before God as righteous men and women. And of course, it's referring back to the cross of Christ and the explanation of Jesus' wrath-bearing sacrifice, which Paul explained back in chapter 3. Some, one of the commentators wrote this, that the accumulated sins and guilt of all the ages should be answered by God's free gift. This is the miracle of miracles, utterly beyond human comprehension so much better so much better than the old world order so much better than an old life of adam so much better than an old life of of death and it's all because of god's grace which you see there in verses 20 and 21 verse 20 but where sin increased grace increased all the more so just as sin reigned in death so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. At the cross of Christ, grace overwhelms sin. Like a tidal wave of love and God's grace. Putting the wrongs right. Bringing out of death life. Life triumphs over death because of the grace of God. So God's grace brings eternal life through Jesus and his death for us. Adam, he's not the last word for humanity. We're we're not eternally stuck under this representative head of Adam who's brought sin and brought death to the world. Jesus Christ is our representative head. He died for us and he is the perfect last word. For a world where sin has a rather unfortunate and unpleasant habit of reigning. But it doesn't. Because Jesus Christ is the Lord of all. He is our representative head if you're a Christian. And we live for him every day. And we want to get this sin out of our lives so that we can live for Jesus every day of our lives. Put him first and live for him. He's our head. He's our captain. And he's our Lord. And let's live our lives for him. Let's do that today. Let's do that this week. Let's live for him now. And live for him all eternity. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that In Jesus, we have a representative head, a captain, our Lord, our Savior, who has opened up this new way, a new world order, a new eon, a new age. And it is ours by faith as we put our trust in you. Please, Lord, help us to live for him this week. For his name's sake we pray. Amen.